Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. I think many of you grew up like I did where Billy Graham was a household name. He was my dad's favorite preacher slash evangelist. And anytime he was on television, I mean, the, you know, it was tuned to him. And when I was 20, Billy Graham was 60 years of age. So to me, he's always been like my grandfather minister mentor. I truly loved him and admired him. There's so many things about him that I respected and tried to learn from. We put together five guys, and you've seen them on the platform in the past, that we could tell each other everything. We would talk about uh, anything that was personal and private with us. We, we, had, we could share everything there was to share, how we were doing sexually, how we were doing financially, what was going on in our life when it came to pride. If there's anything you see in me, call me out on it, and we'll deal with it because I will accept you know, those kind of things from you. All that, Billy Graham, Billy Graham. Well, uh, he was interviewed by Jack Parr, uh, Johnny Carson, Phil Donahue, and then later on in life, Larry King. And when other people would go on talk shows, he would, they would say things like, um, you know, I had my next movie coming out, or here's my book, go buy my book, and all those kind of things. Billy Graham focused on two things. Number one, every man is a sinner in need of a savior. And number two, Jesus Christ is the savior and your only way into the kingdom of God. Those are the only two things that he would teach. He was uh, uh, criticized by many pastors back in his day of being shallow because that was his message, just come to God through faith, through the person of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and millions upon millions came to know him, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. It, it, it's truly an amazing story. And if you don't know much about him because you're of a younger generation, uh, there's a 30-minute documentary you can watch on his life. But, but it, truly is, it, it, it truly is an amazing story, cover of, of Time Magazine as well. Well, I've got a clip of one of those interviews for you, just, and we're just talking. We're just talking. Take a look at this here on the side screen. He's on Johnny Carson's show. I think you guys will remember this. Everybody has broken every commandment. Yes, sir. The Bible says if we break in one point, we're guilty of all. Oh, and it. then when Jesus came after Moses, he explained that the, that the Ten Commandments can be broken in your heart by thought and intent. So in that sense, we're all guilty, and that's the reason the Bible says that everybody's a sinner. Even Ed is a sinner. Well, that, that <laughs> comes as quite a surprise. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a surprise. All right, well. And I, I think if you don't know Billy Graham, his demeanor was so incredible. He was so kind, so friendly. And, um, and everyone that ever met him said the greatest factor, characteristic that they remember about Billy Graham is, and listen to this, is he was humble. Yeah. I'm going somewhere with that word humble today. And this is what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to be very patient with me this morning and allow me to slowly, today and next Sunday, unwrap a very special gift out of God's Word. 
a gift that if we unwrap it and you receive it, could be the breakthrough that you've been looking for in your life. It could be the answer to the turmoil that you're facing. It could absolutely fix the problem that you're dealing with today and can put you on a trajectory of blessings on a whole new level that you and your family never dreamed possible. So I'm going to unwrap this thing kind of slowly. We'll do it together. And, uh, and I think that if you'll listen and you'll let me now, I know you're going to think, well, I think he's kind of all over the place. And it might sound like I'm flying all over the place, but believe me, I know exactly which runway I'm going to land this thing. And here's what I want to talk to you about. Don't let the pain in your life distract you from going on and living the blessed life that God wants you to live. Again, don't let the pain distract you. Father God, we love you and we thank you for loving us and thank you so much, Father, that on a time change Sunday, the first Sunday of uh, spring break, Lord, that you've brought out each person that is in this room. I believe they are here only because of the divine appointment that you put in their heart and in their life. I can't miss today. And thank you because I believe you got something special for them today. And Father, again, again next week. Lord, bless us today as only you can. And thank you for wanting us to live a blessed life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start with that. I believe we're supposed to live a blessed life. I believe the Bible calls it courageous, victorious, being more than a conqueror, able to do all things through Christ, blessed and favored. This life that God wants us to live, being blessed, was his idea. It wasn't my idea. And if his idea was, I have come that you might have a less than mediocre life and barely get by until I come for you, well, I'd be okay with that too. And I'd sell stuff. We'd buy a van, live down by the river. We'd cook out hot dogs on a fire by the river. And we would want to get out of this world as quickly as we possibly could and go on to heaven. And God could have said, I want you guys as my children to live such a life that you hate the world, that you don't want to live 70, 80, 90 years, and that you will long for heaven even more so because your life is going to be that miserable here. But he's your father. He owns it all, he has it all, and he says that he wants to bless you, that he's come that you might have life, that you might live it to the abundance. He promises overflow blessing for every tither, every person that will put God first in their money. He promises overflow blessings coming back to you. So we have a God who wants to bless you in a tremendous way, but, but you are not going to be able to live a blessed life without pain. So if you're going to live a blessed life, you can't let the pain in your life distract you from it. And you can't think God has changed his plan for you because the pain is there. You can't be distracted by pain. Let me tell you what I've learned after 41 years of ministry. I have learned this, that every person in this room has pain. Everyone. I love your public persona. Thank you for it. We appreciate it. I love talking to our ushers and greeters, and every once in a while I'll kid them and I'll say, okay, y'all do a good job today. Give me your best personality out there today. Now, show us your best personality. Not that one I saw in traffic last week, but give me that best personality. And I'll mess with them and we'll kid with each other because here we all have a public persona, don't we? But sometimes, sometimes when we get off by ourselves, we get alone, 
we realize that we too have pain. Every person has problems. The person that you've been hating on because you feel like that they have a success that you envy, that they somehow are living the life that you would love to have, and it seems to you like they got away clean without having to go through the same things that you're having to go through to be able to get that sort of a lifestyle. They may not have gone through what you're going through today, but mark it down, they have gone through and are going through some kind of pain. All God's children have pain. Single people, oh, if I could just be married. Some married people in the room, oh, if I could just get this person out of my bed. Skinny people drinking weight on, fat people drinking weight off. Everybody's got an issue. Everybody has some kind of pain. So if you are going to have a blessed life, you can't let the pain distract you. Now I'm going to throw a quote up on the side screen, and here it is. Take a look at it. I'm going to see if you can believe it. God can do more for you in a minute than you can do in a lifetime. Okay, but do you really believe that? God can do more for you in a minute than striving for 20, 30 years could accomplish on your behalf. In one minute. And you say, well, i got to see that in Scripture. Okay, here it is. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 on the side screen. A man with leprosy came and he knelt in front of Jesus. He begged to be healed. If you are willing, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him and said, uh, yeah, I am willing. Isn't that interesting? That your heavenly father is willing to take your pain away. Uh, you wonder, well, maybe he's mad at me. Maybe he's not going to act on my behalf. And here's another one. Maybe he just flat out doesn't want to when it comes to me. No. He says, I am willing. And this is what he does. Be healed. And everybody say, everybody say that next word. Instantly. No, no, say it, say it like you want it. Instantly. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. And I love instant miracles. I love instant action by the Heavenly Father. I love instant answers by my Heavenly Father. Not just to leave me hanging. I love it. But a lot of times, the answers that we need and that God is willing to give us gets delayed a little because of a test that blessed people have to pass. Now, are you a blessed person? Talk to me. Come on now. Okay. Then it's possible that the next blessing is held up by a test that you have to pass. Now, you remember the word I threw at you at first? What's it called? Humility, right? Humble. Now, here's what happens to blessed people. Oh, I got this. I got money in the bank. I've got some success. I think I can do this on my own. And you know what happens? Your blessings stop. Second story of a leper in the Bible is the story of Naaman. Naaman chapter, Second uh, Kings chapter 5. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the captain of his army. So he had risen to the absolute pinnacle of what his, uh, what his job was. And because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. The Lord had done this for him, and he wasn't even acknowledging it was the Lord who did it. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, very quickly, I want to give you this, okay? I believe many of you have set yourself up for a life 
a blessing. I told a couple just, just as they were walking down, I said, you are on a launching pad of blessing. But that, no, no, what you're doing is, is awesome, and I'm proud of you, but it's just the beginning. And I believe that for all of you that have set yourself up, you're following a path, you're doing what God wants you to do, you're here on a time change Sunday, for goodness sakes, it's an hour, you lost an hour of sleep, and here you are, and you have set yourself up on a, a path to be blessed. And I believe with all my heart, you're going to be blessed. Two levels with, I don't care how old you are, Pastor, I'm 70. Your best life is still ahead of you. I believe you're set up for it. I believe it's coming, but it will not happen without pain. The Bible says he was a mighty man, but, <laughs> and everybody's got a but. Not that kind, the other kind. That's called pain. He, he, he had risen. He had notoriety. He, people answered to him. He told people what to do and they did it. But when he went home and he took his jacket off, there were sores on his body that were oozing. There was an odor coming off of him that he could not cover up. Leprosy without a hospital, leprosy without an ointment, leprosy without a pain pill, leprosy without air conditioning in a hot day, and leprosy without heat on a cold morning. I mean, this man is dealing with some pain in his life. But everybody else thought he had it going on. Here he comes. It's Naaman, y'all. Hey, back up. Naaman, give him the seat. Naaman, what can we do for you, Naaman? But when he went home and he took off his coat, his wife knew. And a little maid knew this man was dying a miserable, painful death. So Naaman gets to the house. Here's, here's the story. Let me give you the rest of it. So he suffered from le leprosy. And, and here, here, here basically, I'm going to give you the script. I just want to read, kind of follow me in the back, and I'll give you another scripture in a minute. But he captured a woman uh, from Israel in one of his raids. The woman became a maid to his wife. The woman from Israel knew that the only God that there was was God of Israel, and there was a prophet in Israel by the name of Elijah. So this little maid tells Naaman's wife, I wish your husband would go and see this prophet in Israel. He'd heal him of that leprosy he's got that's all stinking up this house and inside his clothes. And so she tells Naaman, Naaman goes to his king, which loves him, and says, I need to go to Israel. There's supposed to be a prophet there. The king says, go. He says, I'll write you a letter for the king of Israel. So the king of Aram writes a letter to the king of Israel. Here, take that to the king of Israel and see what happens. And so Naaman loads up an entourage with 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 uh, new clothing. So he goes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel reads the letter. The king of Israel is mad. He tears his clothes. He said, the king of Aram is just trying to start a fight with me. I cannot do what he is requesting for me to do. Elijah hears the king of Israel tore his clothes and said, hey, uh, send Naaman the leper to me. I got this. I got it. So Naaman the leper goes to where Elijah was. And as he's going there, he stands before the house of Elijah. He's about to, 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 to uh, get some healing, and he thinks things are going to be one certain way. And Elijah, inside the house, sends a servant out and says, uh, yeah, tell that really important man, you know, who everybody else jumps when he says jump, that he needs to go down to the Jordan River and dip in it seven times, right? Now, 
Was he trying to offend Naaman on purpose? How big was his house? I mean, if he had to send a servant, I mean, do you think, like that's the front door of his house, do you think Elijah was way back in toddlers too? And coming to the front door was like 200 yards or better to be able to get there? No, he was probably just like right there. (laughs) And he couldn't get up, you know, to tell Naaman what to do? No, he said, yeah, go tell him to dip into Jordan. Watch what happens. This is just... This is cool. What's the word that we're, we're going to come back to? Uh-huh. But Naaman became angry, and he stalked away, verse 11. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the, that leprosy and call on my name, the name of his Lord, the name of whose Lord? His Lord. Didn't say my Lord. There's a problem. And heal me. And one of Naaman's, I'll get to the next verse in a second, but one of Naaman's officers says to him, he didn't ask anything big of you. He just wants one simple act of obedience. And if he would have asked you to do something big, I mean, look at all you brought. Wouldn't you have paid it? Wouldn't you have done it? And Naaman, Naaman, something clicks in Naaman. And the Bible says, look at this, verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, and he dipped himself seven times, as the man of God instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. Cool thing about the story, he goes back, tries to give Naaman, or tries to give Elijah all the silver and all the gold and the clothing, and Elijah goes, no, I don't want it. You keep it. Why why did he do that? Because he did not want the story getting out that only the elite and the rich and the rich could buy a miracle. It's more important that you understand that anybody can come. The elite, the little maid, anybody can get a miracle. And you can't pay for it. Well, one of the oldest weapons in the enemy's arsenal is to get you to be offended at the very person that God's trying to use to help you. Oh, church, church, listen. It's one of the oldest weapons of the enemy. Get you mad and offended at somebody in this church is trying to teach you God's word. And you know what you'll, you'll do? Can I tell you what you won't do? You won't listen anymore. You'll shut down. And then God, some, they'll say, hey, hey, a simple act of giving God back the first tenth of your income, and he'll pour out blessings. I heard it. Don't believe it. All right? It's the oldest weapon in the arsenal of the enemy to get you to become offended at the person, it's not up to you and it's not up to them, that God chose to use to help you. That's it. I uh, wasn't going to tell this story, but I cannot get this off of my mind, so I'm obviously going to tell it, right? (laughs) Several years ago, a girl came to our office, and she was mid-30s, and um, she um, uh, asked Sheila said, could I talk to Pastor Hooper for two minutes down here in the lobby? And so she called up to Michelle and, and um, <clears throat> said, there's a woman down there who wants to talk to you. And I said, okay, you know, I'll run down. So, you know, I did. I ran down. And, um, and I thought I recognized her, but I wasn't really sure. She's in her 30s. And, and um, <clears throat> she said, Pastor Hooper, do you remember me? And I went, I think I do. She told me her name. Oh, yeah, sure, I remember you. Man, I hadn't seen her in years. And she goes, well, I've been going through counseling and things like that. And one of the things that my counselor, and I knew her counselor, had told, 
had told her to do was to come and apologize to me. And I thought, well, okay, you know. And she said, back when I was a teenager going to church here, I, I was going to get married, and, and I wanted you to do the wedding ceremony. So we called the office so you do the wedding ceremony, and you weren't going to be in town that day. And I, I truly don't know where I, I could have been speaking or Anna could have just wanted me to take her to Denver to go shopping and see a movie. I have no idea what I was doing, but it didn't matter. I wasn't here. But anyway, she said, so uh, you didn't do the, the, my wedding and it really hurt me and hurt my family. And I go, well, man, I'm so sorry. Who ended up doing your wedding? She said, Pastor Tim. And I said, well, did it suck? And she goes, no, it was good. <laughs> I go, well, great. That's awesome. And she'd been married 15 to 17 years, and her kids were like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, preteens. And she said, but I want you to know that I got mad at you, and I stayed mad at you, and I've talked bad about you for all these years. And my counselor said, in order for me to move forward, I had to come and apologize to you. And I said, okay, I'm good, you good, I'm good, okay, we're good, all right, great. And I walked up the stairs, and I thought, oh, my gosh. This poor woman stayed mad at me for 17 years, and I had no idea that I'd even offended her. Are you with me? Enter the enemy, right? The enemy is always going to try to offend you. Listen, there are people that I can't offend. I try to offend some of my friends on purpose, and they don't even get offended. And there are other people that I don't try to offend, and all of a sudden they're offended. What is going on here? So it looks to me like Elijah tried to offend him on purpose. Because the one thing that Naaman was struggling with was all of his success was humility. So let God take you up. And you start thinking that you're more important than you really are. And watch God take it all away. I don't need them. They hurt my feelings. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. Let me tell you something. There is no way to exist in a church without having your feelings hurt. Well, I'll just do my Christian life by myself. I'll go up in the woods and I'll pull the tent out and I'll get my Bible and I'll be a Christian. That's not how God made it. Nothing can be done by an individual that can't be done by a corporation bigger. Jet airplanes are not built by a person. Jet airplanes are built by a corporation. And great ministry work is not done by one individual. It is done by the body of Christ called the local church that comes together and we deal with each other. Man. You think, well, is that the message? No, that's not the message. That's a side note. I'm not even sure it's in my notes. But this wasn't some little tiny thing that Naaman wanted. This was a quality of life or death kind of pain. And the answer to him, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Really? You see what I'm wearing? I didn't bring my swimsuit. You want me to go, you want me to go dip? You, anybody got a towel? No. So the answer didn't make sense, did it? Watch this. And he didn't even feel like doing it. All right, here we go now. 
blessed child of God? The answer to what you're facing right now that is your biggest problem may not make sense. And part two, you may not even feel like doing it. But one little simple obedience with humility act. And your life changes forever. He went down to the river. <clears throat> he went down sick. He came up sick. He goes down again. Comes up sick. And the enemy had to be saying, look at you, man. You're supposed to be important, and look at you making a fool of yourself. Look at you standing down there with your hands in the air. Are you kidding me? You don't even sing. Hey, you don't even like to sing. Oh, by the way, you don't even feel like singing. So don't. <laughs> don't. Dip number three, sick. And come up sick. Dip number four, sick. Come up sick. That preacher didn't even come out of the door. He didn't think you were important enough to get out of his chair. Look at you down here. What are you doing this for? Dip number six. Six times and nothing. Six is the number of man, the number of humanity, the number of human effort. And it ain't working for you. But you're on your last dip. Just one more simple act of humble obedience. Just one more dip. Ann and I were glued to the television when Billy Graham's funeral was going on. Did any of you see it? Any of you? I think Fox News carried it. I don't think anybody else did, but they carried it, and they showed it from the very beginning to the very end. Well, all of his kids spoke, and Ruth spoke, the daughter. I think she's like three in line of the four kids, I think. I think. And uh, <clears throat> she'd had a, a tough life, gone through a divorce, had some things hit her. And when she gave her testimony, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. The kids were each given three minutes. And Ruth took about three minutes and 20 seconds to tell you what you are about to see. She's speaking in the Billy Graham homestead where they grew up, standing in front of the Billy Graham library, which Ann and I will be there next month. And I want you to see a simple act of humble obedience that changed her world. After she had gone a little bit away from the father, take a listen. I want to thank each one of you for being here today, from those in the very back here in the tent to the very front row. We are blessed and honored that you are here. Thank you. And I have learned this week, as never before, that everybody has a Billy Graham story. And even this week, President Trump told us about his Billy Graham story. As a little boy, his father took him to Yankee Stadium to hear my father preach. And he said, this is a big deal. <laughs> little did they know that their paths would cross many, many years later. But I have my own Billy Graham story. 
So I'm going to tell you that one. And I've told it many times, and some of you have maybe heard it many times. But it bears repeating because, to me, it speaks to the essence of who my father was and is. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it'd be a good idea for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they were almost grown. They didn't know what they could, they couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man, on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and my father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to Mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? You, we, we're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. <laughs> and many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you. Thank you, and God bless you. Yeah, I feel you. I, uh, I wish we could get through this life without mistakes, without pain, without our relationship falling apart. I wish we could get through this life with all of us making great decisions that have great outcomes. But we can't, and we never will. So if you're going to have the blessed life that God wants you to have, and oh, he wants you to have it. If you're going to go to heights and levels where you've never been before at every age of your life, then, man, you've got God as your cheerleader and making a way for you. But you will not get to those places without pain. You won't. And the pain serves a purpose. 
It's to cause us to understand that humble is the way, not pride. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. But he says he honors and lifts up the humble. Your pain serves a purpose, and it's to get you to where God wants you to be, to keep you loving and praying, to keep you understanding when you make decisions where you go away from the Heavenly Father, you're not reading the Bible like you used to, you're not worshiping him like you should, you're not loving him, you're not partnering with him financially, and your life starts turning in a direction where you're like, this is such a mess. Just come back home. Just come back home. Well, if I come back home, will all the problems go away? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that one problem might go away. Give you a little relief. Name is leprosy was healed. But he was still a man living in a fallen world. Hear me, dear brother. Hear me, dear sister. If you're going to live a blessed life, you cannot let the pain in your life distract you from it. Next week's part two. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you, God, for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.